Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, and it is November the 10th, 2017, uh, one day before we observe um, Armistice Day, Veterans Day, as we now call it. <clears throat> I thank you so much for joining me. Always great to catch up with you at the end of the week to try to sort out the madness. Uh, obviously, no shortage of madness to be found in the news or, for that matter, on the streets of our towns and cities across the United States. For those of you familiar with me, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And I began this program, or one similar to it, but I've been with this program for many years, with the simple goal of trying to provide as many of our fellow Americans with a true understanding of the significance of America's borders and America's immigration laws in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11. And it is remarkable because of all the people who should most understand it, but appear to not understand it or don't give a damn about it, are all too many of our elected representatives. I really think that our elected politicians should have a required reading list, much as we did when we went to college. And they should be given exams to see if they really learned the lesson. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report to which I provided testimony, 9-11 was only made possible, only could have happened because of multiple failures of the immigration system. And the lies being told by the politicians, by the pundits, by the pollsters, by the media are staggering. And so my job, as I see it, is to be the MythBuster, to provide you with the insight and the unvarnished truth about what is really going on. And, you know, many years ago, back when I was an agent, if I was about to interrogate a suspect or a guy that we had just arrested, I would always say to them, let's remember one fundamental fact. There is only one version of the truth. And that's something that our politicians don't seem to understand, because for them, the truth is relative. How can we shade it? How can we use deceptive language? How can we manipulate the perspectives and understanding of the issue by the people we were sworn to uh, protect? Upholding the Constitution, really, first and foremost, means protecting America, Americans, and Americans' rights. What rights? The Fourth Amendment has been obliterated between computers uh, between Patriot Act, and, and look, I'm, I'm a former agent. I, I certainly believe that law enforcement has the need to have access to information. That's how we're going to fight the bad guys. But when we see our rights eroding, evaporating, being discarded like yesterday's newspaper, and we're not being made safer, then I have a real problem with it. This isn't just about hypocrisy. This is about a death toll. About uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, we had the death of eight people in New York City. Five, as I recall, were from Argentina visiting. The irony, as was pointed out by one of my friends, uh, 
over at DHS was, you know, Mike, he said, you always talk about how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is doing everything they can to dismantle our borders in the name of commerce, tourism. What kind of commerce and tourism uh, are we going to have when there's terrorist attacks? The Wall Street Journal um, just sent out a news alert within the last hour that record numbers of Americans, <clears throat> pardon me, are seeking to learn how to either flee or fight terrorists here in the United States. The American people have had it. And we're being told that the solution is to disarm America. What a brilliant idea. Terrorists don't care about our laws. They don't care about anything except killing us. So how wonderful that you have politicians that want to disarm Americans at a time when more and more Americans feel naked and vulnerable, and they've been put into that situation by our own government. And I'm not a, I'm not a conservative, but I am very strong on the Second Amendment. I don't believe that civilians should have anti-aircraft guns and automatic weapons and 50 caliber machine guns on their roofs. But on the other side of it, the Constitution is clear that Americans have the constitutional right to bear arms. Now, I think you should have to be carefully trained so that you understand not only how firearms work, but when you may and may not use deadly force, how to effectively use a firearm. As a federal agent, I had some of the best firearms training in the world. And I'm very comfortable around guns. And if you're going to carry a gun, then you darn well ought to know how to use the damn thing, just as though if you're going to drive a car, then you should know how to drive that car. And of course, now we're finding out that they want to create driverless cars because God knows we can't trust the average American to be a good driver. Never mind that the road test doesn't prove anything. You know, the road test really hasn't changed from when I took my road test many, many, many years ago, too many years ago. You drove 20 miles an hour on a quiet street. You did a broken U-turn. You parked your car. You made a couple of left turns and a couple of right turns. They hand you a license. As far as I'm concerned, that's the equivalent of giving someone a pilot's license who never gets the airplane off the ground. Just taxi it around the airport for a couple of minutes and and demonstrate that you can identify the instruments in the cockpit and we'll give you a pilot's license. Could you imagine anything more ridiculous? That's what we do with driver's licenses. And why is that? Well, there's a money component. Car makers want to sell cars. Oil companies want to sell petroleum, whether it's gasoline or oil for the engine, uh, insurance companies, tolls and, and speeding tickets and parking meters, and the list goes on. Everyone dipping into the till. And then, of course, you have the body shops when you bang up the car because you didn't know what you were doing. Or some nimrod who didn't know what he was doing or she was doing plows into you for no good reason. So rather than saying, okay, let's learn how to be better drivers, they say, great, let's automate the process and take people out of the equation. And that's going to go real well until someone figures out how to hack into the computers and the cars. And then one day there'll be a terrorist attack and 500 cars will pile up on a highway and everyone will be scratching their heads and say, gee whiz, how did that happen? It happened because increasingly our freedoms are being taken from us, the freedom to drive a car. One of the last real big freedoms in America, get behind the wheel of the car, you're in your own little cocoon, go where you want to go, go when you want to go. And if you look at 
police departments around the country with license plate readers. Yes, you're out in the public domain. And if I was an agent, uh, I suspect that kind of intelligence would be very helpful to me to do an investigation. But the technology that is now available is such that no one ever could have possibly imagined it when the Constitution was written. And I think the founding fathers are probably pinwheeling in their graves that on any given day, your exact location can be tracked, pinpointed, whether you're in a car or walking around with your cell phone and you're pinging off of towers. The illusion of privacy, the illusion of freedom, uh, slipping through our fingertips, and no one's challenging anything. Get on an airplane. I'm waiting for the day when they tell us, get butt naked. We're not going to let you get on an airplane wearing any clothing because you might still be concealing a weapon. And, and there's enough of our fellow Americans that would very nicely take off their clothes and, and sit in an airplane in, in an examination gown, perhaps. And again, what are the alternatives? You know, do we not be careful? Do we be overly careful? And, you know, Ben Franklin said anyone willing to give up his uh, freedom for security will have neither. And, and I really fear that we're almost at that point now. Because all that we're getting from our elected representatives right now is illusions, magic act. Um, And that's why I do this program, to try to look at the preceding week and look at it through the prism of my viewpoint, 30 years in law enforcement and even more years dealing with the immigration issue, uh, because I stayed active in, in various ways after I stopped being an agent. So uh, let me just remind all of you about the websites, and then I want to get to the the matter at hand today, specifically that terror attack, how our supposed leaders reacted, what they said, what the media said, and what the reality is. Uh, My own personal website is michaelcutler.net, C-U-T-L-E-R. I also write for frontpagemag.com and The Social Contract. And so um, I wrote an article that Front Page Magazine just published this morning, in the wee small hours of the morning, as the song goes. And the title of my article, Diversity Visa Lottery, a Game of Russian Roulette, American Sovereignty and Security Dismantled Under the Guise of Diversity, in quotes. You know, it was predictable, at least I thought it would happen, that after that truck drove over those bike riders, that the mayor would immediately say, let's put up barriers to protect the bike riders in, in that bike path. And, and, and so they did. It didn't take two or three days. And NBC News came out. They even referred to it as, I think, a barrier wall. If you read my article, I'm, I'm not going to quote the article because I want you to go read it. And by the way, if you like the article, please pass the information about my article on to as many of your friends and neighbors as you can. Post it on the, in the public media, you know, the uh, social media, whether it's Facebook. I don't care. Get the word out. Get the word out. Because you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. They all dutifully report on what they're supposed to report on. And, and, and the lies come fast and furious. Forgive me for referencing a, a disastrous ATF program that saw thousands of guns going into Mexico fast and furious. But let's begin with this notion that we're going to erect a barrier to protect the bike riders. This is an effective way to protect us, said the mayor. Don't put a wall on the border, though, to protect us from aliens who have no inherent right to come here. Don't put that wall on the border where you might stop the flow of heroin and meth and 
of the narcotics into the United States, cocaine. Oh, no, 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 no. No walls on the border. Those are walls of hate. But put up a wall around the bike path. That makes a lot of sense. So the first concern that we heard were people that routinely use the bike path said, wait a minute, if we crash a bike, and it sometimes happens, how in the world are they going to get an injured bike rider out of the bike path if they erect? But it doesn't matter because we need the walls on the bike path to protect the bike riders. Now, a terrorist looks at that wall and says, darn it, I guess I can't kill anybody in the bike path. So does that mean the terrorist goes home? No. He drives two blocks away and mows people down on the sidewalk. Or he or she will drive that truck down midtown Manhattan until he gets to the intersection when the light turns red. So this guy is now number one waiting to cross the intersection. And as soon as the mass of humanity runs in front of his truck trying to get from one side of the street to the other. He just has to hit the gas pedal and he can kill many more people than that, that, that piece of trash that Miss Creon uh, who ran down the eight people killed. Anybody familiar with New York when the light turns green during a work day, my God, it looks like the New York city marathon. I can't tell you how many people cross at every intersection. So imagine a guy in a truck saying, well, here come the pedestrians, and he nails the gas, and we have carnage. What did the wall on that bike path do? Nothing. Why is it done? It looks good. It's a sound bite. It creates the illusion. Uh, One of the the things that I do is I do speaking events around the country. There's a speakers bureau that I've been working with for well over a decade, Alan L. Freed Associates in Washington, They conduct seminars for the military and the intelligence services. Very proud to be working with them for quite some time. They have some really amazing speakers, Ralph Nader, Ken Duberstein, uh, President Reagan's last chief of staff, uh, former White House correspondents, sometimes members of former members of Congress or retired generals and so forth. So I'm I'm very um, happy to be one of their regulars. Uh, Obviously, my topic, border security, national security and immigration. So I was addressing a room filled with Air Force brass a couple of weeks ago in Washington, and I said, you know, our politicians remind me of the magician that saws that woman in half. Now, he doesn't really want to saw the woman in half, because if he did, he goes to jail for murder. And, and, and maybe they're friends. Maybe he's got a hot date with her tonight. You know, he's got great plans. It kind of doesn't work out when you kill somebody. So he's really not going to kill the woman, but he's got to create a convincing illusion that he sawed her in half. Now his goal is to entertain the audience. Similarly, the politicians want to create the illusion that they really want to protect America and secure the borders and end illegal immigration. That's like sawing the woman in half. They have to make it convincing but they can't do anything that actually accomplishes what they claim they're trying to accomplish. Why? Because the people that are bribing them, their campaign contributors, would stop writing their checks. So just like the magician that has to create a convincing illusion that he's sawing a woman in half without hurting a hair on her head, the politicians have to make it appear that they're doing everything possible and spending tons of money 
to protect America, secure the borders, end illegal immigration while doing nothing of the sort. It's all an illusion. It's all a scam. It is all a fraud and a sham. And so sometimes I read responses to my articles or other articles and people say, oh, those damn left wingers, they don't get it. And, and the conservative so-called politicians get it. They're there trying to help you. Do you believe that? See, this isn't a left-right issue. This isn't about Democrats versus Republicans. They are all opposed to borders, security, and immigration law enforcement, with a couple of exceptions. And they're few and far between. Few and far between. Some of them are more masterful at creating illusions than others. That's the only difference for 95% of them. Let me give you an example. How many times have you heard the Republicans, because they're tough, right? They're tough. They, they scare the hell out of her. They're tough. They're macho. Oh, we're tough. We're not going to let these people get a pass to citizenship. They're here illegally. No citizenship for you, right? No soup for you. No citizenship for you. Big deal. They still say the same exact thing that the Democrats are saying. We can't deport them all. Let's let them stay. But we'll only let them work. We're not going to let them become citizens. And what does that exactly accomplish? First of all, of course, they don't want them to be citizens because they'll probably vote for the Democrats. But they're working. Now, what does that mean? Okay, they're getting official ID. They're allowed to stay here. They are embedding themselves. Look at the 9-11 Commission report. That's the tactic of choice. Get lawful status. Now you can hide in plain sight. And by working here, they displace Americans. They drive down wages, which is what the goal is of pro-business advocates, right? Lower the overhead. Increase the profits. How do you do that? Hammer American wages into the ground. And what better way than to flood America with cheap labor from third world countries that are happy to work for a dollar a day in a bowl of almost warm rice? So when I see these articles and these comments, oh, it's the left. No, it's not. It's left and right. It's left and right. And until you accept that you don't understand what is being done, you are blind in a storm. Both parties for their crooked, corrupt, uh, nasty. Um, I, I don't even know what words to use because they know people are dying and they don't give a rat's tail. They don't give a rat's tail. 90% of them. And the lies are incredible. Well, you know, we're not going to give them citizenship, but we can't deport them all. We'll let them work. We'll give them ID. I'm telling you, folks, this is a scam. And everybody who jumps up and down and says, boy, those lefties, you know, give me a break. Both sides of the aisle are corrupt. Both sides of the aisle create fantasies. Both sides of the aisle are trying to saw that woman in half without hurting a hair on her head. It's both parties. If you're truly a a, a left-leaning politician, ostensibly concerned about labor, you should be going ballistic. You know, when I learned about the labor movement back in high school, when people broke a strike, when they violated the strike, when they walked past the picket lines to get the job that the workers were striking from that factory, they were given a very nasty name. They were called scab labor. If you're truly pro-labor, then then you don't want scab labor coming into America and destroying the wage structure. 
Because, you see, these people aren't Democrats. The Democratic Party used to be the party of labor, used to be the party that provided the counterpoint to the Republicans. The Republicans tended to support the factory owner, the business owner, which is fine. Both sides of this debate, by the way, have reasonable arguments and unreasonable arguments. So the political process, by being balanced, kept things in check. You know, um, both sides have valid concerns. And so it made sense to have the Democrats look out for the labor. It made sense for the Republicans to do what they could to help business owners. But it was the Democrats who stabbed the average working family in the back. And when they stepped off the scale, when they stepped off the seesaw and went off on their own saying, let's flood America with new voters and cheap labor, guess what happened? The average American worker and his or her family were left out in the cold. And that's how we got to this point. And that's why you have people now uh, declaring their cities and states to be sanctuaries, even when they commit felonies. How in the world does that make sense? You know, I'd love to ask these individuals, the advocates for sanctuary cities, why do we arrest criminals? And the answer they probably give you is, well, to punish them and keep them off the street. Then if you have a criminal who shouldn't even be here, deporting that alien once he or she gets out of jail solves the problem of recidivism. And when you look at what happened to Kate Stiley in San Francisco, and that Cretan who killed Kate Steinle is accusing the system of being racially motivated in prosecuting this guy for killing that young woman, you, your head wants to explode. And so we have a country today that's being divided by everybody. Forget E Pluribus Unum. Forget it. And if you look at the pollsters, Latino voter, black voter, Jewish voter, Christian voter, Southern Baptist voter, evangelist voter. My gosh, why aren't they doing it with eye color, hair color, and height? Why don't they talk about people that are over six feet tall than people who are under five foot eight? You know, why, why can't we get even more divisive? Because that really seems to be the goal. Let's divide Americans up into tribal warring factions. And while they're fighting each other, we can run roughshod over them. That's what the politicians are doing. That's exactly what the politicians are doing. They're talking about how we have to appeal to the Latino voter. Do you really think that an American citizen whose last name is Rodriguez or Garcia or Sanchez or Morales wants something different from an American whose last name is Goldstein or Jackson or Smith? Of course not. Fundamentally, all Americans want to know that our military keeps us safe from the loons overseas. Uh, think about North Korea. Think about Iran. Um, want the criminals off the streets. That they want the police to be effective. They want the schools to educate their kids. They want to know that their children can write the next success story in America. That's what they want. And our immigration policies are diametrically opposed to each and every one of those goals. I want you to think of immigration through a slightly different perspective. The primary mission of all five branches of the U.S. military is to keep, Americans, uh, keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. That's just the way it is. That's why we have a military. But in this era of asymmetrical warfare, terrorism, a handful of these P-51 
pieces of trash can inflict more casualties than you might ever imagine. 19 terrorists on 9-11 killed more people than did the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. And the death toll continues to climb. People are still dying of the diseases that they contracted because they were exposed to the toxins that spewed from the towers when the towers collapsed in lower Manhattan. That's what the Zadruga bill was about. Taking care of the first responders and others who were sickened by those carcinogenic materials, asbestos, fiberglass, you name it. I'm not even sure they even know what was in that lethal soup that they, that the people were inhaling. But again, think back to nine 11, the EPA said, Oh, that air smells terrible and it looks nasty, but we've done a study and it's a hundred percent safe. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep on moving. Nothing to see here, folks, because the real estate in lower Manhattan is very, very, very expensive. It's prime time. It's right next to Wall Street. So the city was worried that if people had the idea that there were poisons floating around in the air, property value would decline tax revenue would decline and what's a couple of thousand dead people anyway this is america we don't care about our own people we're more worried about using smart weaponry overseas to prevent what's known as collateral damage civilian casualties than we are concerned about collateral damage in our towns and cities americans killed by terrorists criminals drug overdoses. Why is it that Mayor Bloomberg was so fixated on too much salt and sugar in our diets that's never said a damn thing about heroin or cocaine? Maybe he can answer that question. Why is it we see really effective cigarette commercials warning people don't smoke because your lungs are going to rot? When was the last time you saw a solid commercial to warn people, especially young people, about the dangers of heroin cocaine, meth. Why is it that now there's a push on to legalize marijuana all over the United States? Now that the Democrats control more of New Jersey, now they want to legalize pot in New Jersey. How wonderful that I might be on the road with someone who's bombed out of his gourd. That really gives me the warm fuzzies. Understand what's happening. Our government doesn't represent the American people, not even a little bit anymore. All that they represent are the people writing the checks. And we're sold this nonsense. Oh, you just don't care about people. You lack compassion. When people come here, we need to let them work. Sure we do, so they can be exploited. And then you hear the Democrats jumping up and down, screaming about wage equality, 10, 10 an hour. Do the math, folks. It's like 21,000 a year. What does that make you equal to? Can you live on that? What does that have to do with wage equality? It's a lie. Now, if they had said, we need to raise minimum wage to help the poor, I'd say, okay, that's cool. And you know what? Being a registered Democrat, I'd agree with them. But when you can stand there with a straight face in front of the cameras and equate 10, 10 an hour with wage equality, my urge is to slug you. What kind of a lie is that? But how many people stop and ask the question? How many of your fellow Americans ever said to anybody, Equality, 10, 10 an hour, equality, what kind of equality? Is that going to make you equal to Bill Gates? Is that going to make you uh, equal to Alan Greenspan, right? 
What's it going to make equal to? Some guy living uh, on the street. Even $15 an hour works out to about 30000 a year. Lots of luck living on that in New York City or in Boston or in San Francisco. But they call that there the push for wage equality. No, it's not. No, it's not. All it is is a slogan that won't do anything for Americans, uh, but it's about lying. It's about propaganda. It's about the con con artistry of our alleged leaders. And even after the terrorist attack, you know, I I want you to think back when the attack happened. You had uh, Mayor de Blasio standing next to New York State Governor Cuomo. The body language was priceless. You know these guys don't like each other. So as I watched them standing there at the news conference right after that terror attack, they reminded me of a couple in divorce court, you know, kind of like standing there at a 45 degree angle to each other so that they don't have to acknowledge that the other one is standing next to them. But they both had the same song to sing. The guy was a lone wolf. The guy probably just radicalized. And there's nothing to see here. Everything is safe. Come to New York. We're having the Halloween parade. They had no idea what this guy was involved with. They had no idea if there were other attacks that were about to happen. And they immediately proclaimed lone wolf. They didn't know if someone else was involved with him. The investigation hadn't even begun. They hadn't removed the dead bodies from the street. But we know what we're supposed to say. And so here's the remarkable thing. And I raised this point at a number of congressional hearings where I've testified. The concerns that we have about sleeper agents. A sleeper agent is a foreign national who enters the United States one way or another, either legally or illegally, either as a tourist or as an immigrant or a student, whatever. They gain access to America and they keep a low profile. They get a job that gives them mobility and camouflage, preferably a job that involves driving some kind of a vehicle. And by the way, the dirtbag who carried out the terror attack certainly was driving. He was an Uber driver. Doesn't that make you feel nice and warm that one day you might get into an Uber with a guy that wants to blow up the car? How cool is that? How insane are we? But you see, when you drive an Uber or a taxi or a school bus or an ice cream truck or an airport limo, you have mobility, you have camouflage. No one pays attention to those vehicles. It's like being in a treehouse in a forest. They are invisible. Back in 1993, a Pakistani by the name of Mir Amil Kansi bought into a courier service. So he drove a courier van that had a permit that enabled him to drive that courier van into the parking lot at the CIA in Virginia. And on that morning in January 1993, he got out of that van after he pulled into the parking area where he was authorized to be. But instead of bringing a package out of the truck, he brought with him an AK-47 and opened fire and killed two CAA officers and wounded three others. The van enabled him to get into that compound, and I suspect the van enabled him to surveil the CIA area. Who knows how many times he drove there, checking it out, what's the best gate, what's the best time of day, what's the best route to get here, and so forth. Is there an escape route? How do I leave afterwards? Because he's driving around in this vehicle, 
that just kind of blends in. It's, a, it's a, you know, if you look at surveillance vehicles that law enforcement use, they always look like something that they're not, camouflage. And that's what this was for him. So you have an Uber driver who's able to drive, and we're immediately told, oh, he just got radicalized. Really, he came here in 2010 on a diversity visa. Maybe that's why he wanted to come here in the first place. Maybe he was really determined to kill Americans and said, I'll get to America and on my own sweet time, I'll work on my own schedule. And when I put it together, I'll do what I got to do. Or maybe someone told him that he needs to come here and do that. Be one of our soldiers. And when we let you know, you'll do something for us. Maybe that's what happened. We don't know. Lots of questions. But what disturbs me is that we have leaders in America today who don't need the facts. They just get in front of the cameras and say whatever they think they need to say to calm down the masses so people will come to the parade and people will spend money and pay the bridge and tunnel tolls and pay for parking and pay sales tax. And if some people die, well, you know, the funeral home industry, they can always use some more business, can't they? Maybe I sound cynical. Maybe I sound angry. Well, I'm all the above and then some, folks. Because I am looking at the madness. And it's not just diversity visas, which make no sense to me. We're not diverse enough, really? Really? Come to New York. Come to most of our big cities and see how diverse we are diversity visa 50,000 a year and these are people who can legally compete with foreign workers you know our immigration laws used to primarily be the responsibility of the labor department that's how we built the middle class to make certain that american workers would never have to compete with foreign workers for a job so number one that helped to keep unemployment down number two by not flooding the market with a um, commodity which labor is we kept the value of labor up. Once you flood the marketplace with a commodity, you drive down the price, supply and demand, classic economics. So we bring in 50,000 people because they're diverse. They don't have any skills. Uh uh-uh. So most likely they're going to compete with semi-skilled or low-skilled American workers. Think the damage that that does to Americans living in poverty, trying to get out of poverty. If you take an American who's hanging on by his or her fingernails economically and you take their job or you suppress their wage, you can take that person and his or her family and make them homeless in short order. How much suffering does that cause? How much suffering? But if you dare say these things, you're xenophobic. And if you look at the articles in the papers and these essays that are written by these geniuses, it's only Americans who are on the extreme right who are worried about these issues. I'm not on the extreme right. You don't have to be on the extreme right. You just have to be able to fog a mirror and be able to walk and breathe at the same time to figure this one out. If you bring in more workers than the number of new jobs you create, Americans will lose their jobs. It's just that simple. Americans will lose their jobs. And neither party gives a rat's tail. And you finally have a president by the name of Donald Trump who says, I'm going to bring jobs back to America, 
and we're going to make sure that American hands, American hands do the job, and people are screaming. Why are they screaming? The masses are asses. We always used to say that when I went to Brooklyn College. The masses are asses. It's not enough to bring jobs back to America. It's about making certain that Americans get first shot at the jobs. And when the president says that, he gets attacked by both sides, by both sides. Believe me, the Republicans and the Democrats, there isn't much space between them. They are both the party of betrayal for Americans. I am telling you that when you have Republicans telling you that I am tough, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, and I will not vote to give illegal aliens citizenship, big deal. But they are willing to vote to let them stay and work and get official identity documents and lawful status. And therein lies the issue. Therein lies the issue. You know, this is, as I've written in several articles in the past, failure by design. Do you really believe that a country that 45 years ago, um, I guess this is 45 years, I'm trying to do the math, 1969, we sent men to the moon. Think about that. It's more than that. Right? We sent men to the moon repeatedly and brought them back safely, every last one. We didn't lose a single astronaut on a mission to the moon. Even Apollo 13 that suffered that catastrophic explosion, it was catastrophic to the mission, but they were able to swing around the dark side of the moon, the far side, that is to say, and then return safely to the earth. Now, in fact, I met Jim Lovell. What an amazing experience that was, mission commander for Apollo 13. I met Gene Kranz. These guys are American heroes, let me tell you. But we never lost anybody. No country has yet sent men to the moon or women or any living thing. And we did it repeatedly much more than 40 years ago. But today we're being told that if we don't import the world's best and brightest, we're going to fall behind. Sure thing. Sure thing. You look at all the firsts that America has achieved, and you look at the abusive language being used by both politicians. Uh, you know, this is remarkable to me. For all of the breastfeeding about safe spaces and don't use insulting language and we can't even say on the train today, ladies and gentlemen, because, goodness, somebody on the train might not be certain about his own or her own. I, I don't even know what words to use anymore. And that's really part, I think this is really part of the idea that we stop communicating with each other. We're going to be balkanized. Uh, it's been estimated now that one in five American families don't speak English. And even when we do speak the same language, do I say, ma'am, sir? Hey, you, I mean, how are we supposed to address each other so we don't, quote, unquote, offend anybody? But the same politicians are quick to talk about um, Americans that won't do the work or can't do the work or too stupid to do the work. We can insult Americans. That's okay. Look at the playbook that they're dealing with or that we're dealing with because they're using that playbook against us. They are using that playbook against America and Americans, and we are dopey enough to fall for this madness. And I was watching a conservative program right after the attacks. And this young lady who came on had a CIA uh, uh, analyst, I guess, former CIA analyst on the program. And she actually said to him, well, from what we know, this guy came here in 2010. So 
he's he's really you know um, maybe homegrown because he's been here since 2010. Homegrown because he's been here since 2010. She said it's not like he just came here as a refugee. He's been here, so he's homegrown, isn't he? And the CIA analyst, uh, boy, his his ex- facial expression was priceless because he didn't believe that for one heartbeat. But here we are listening to an alleged conservative program on a conservative network referring to this guy or trying to get this guy to be painted as a homegrown terrorist. Why? Because homegrown takes immigration out of the equation. You can't link immigration to terrorism. Now, you may think that's absurd, but let me tell you something. I did a couple of hearings at the behest of Sheila Jackson Lee. The first hearing that I did for her was back in March of 2002, when to everyone's shock and horror, it was determined that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Sheikh, this is from the 9-11 attack. In fact, Atta was the ringleader. And both of them, six, six months to the day after the attacks, were granted authorization to attend flight school. Flight school. So the world knew they were dead. The world knew they were terrorists. And the computer company hired by immigration gave them authorization to attend flight school. Why we needed a computer company is beyond me, but that goes with the mythology that we've got to privatize everything because the private companies do it better than government. Right. Companies like Enron, uh, AIG, General Motors. Sure, they're brilliant. Give me a break. So... I did a hearing for Sheila Jackson Lee about that nexus between terrorism and immigration. I did another hearing for her about alien smuggling. And I said, look, if you're going to do a hearing about smuggling, it's not just the Mexican border. You need to look at visa fraud as being a form of alien smuggling. And we did it. And the fact, the topic of the hearing got changed somewhat. And they incorporated the phrase pushing out the borders because I made the point that when aliens are required to get visas, the border of the United States moves from the international airport or, or whatever port of entry they're coming into to the office overseas at the embassy or consulate, the U.S. embassy or the U.S. consulate where they issue the visas. So we push America's borders out. That became part of the title. And a year or two later, in the middle of a hearing, I said to Jackson, I believe it was Ms. Jackson Lee, I said, look, if you look at the nexus between immigration and terrorism and a couple of the Democrats sitting at the dais at that hearing in the House of Representatives went nuts. And they said to me, Mr. Cutler, there is no nexus between immigration and terrorism. There is no nexus between immigration and terrorism. Stop and think about that. There is no nexus. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, it was crystal clear that it was multiple failures of the immigration system that enabled the terrorists not only enter the country, but embed themselves, hide in plain sight. But the narrative had to change. So how did it change? Immigration has nothing to do with terrorism. Why? How do you make that point? Well, it doesn't matter. We said it. Now you try to figure out what to do. You know, on on a totally different point, but I want you to see what happens. I don't know anything about Judge Moore in Alabama. But if you've been following the news, he's been accused of trying to have some kind of a sexual relation with, with a young girl, underage girl, decades ago, decades ago. But what's remarkable was as soon as he announced that he was going to be one of the candidates to take Senator Jeff Sessions' seat, 
You would have thought that these women would have come forward. You would have thought they would have come forward decades ago. No, they waited until he is now the Republican candidate for the Senate seat. And now that we're just a couple of weeks away from this special election, these women are coming out of the woodwork, pointing a finger at him. Did he do it? I don't know. And if he did, it's reprehensible. Don't misunderstand me. But as an agent, I always look at timing. And I was just discussing this with with several friends and also on a couple of the radio shows where I appeared this week. There's a wonderful movie that Robin Williams made, the late Robin Williams, Man of the Year, where he plays the part of a radio, I'm sorry, a TV talk show host who runs for president as a goof, but because of a computer glitch, he wins the election. But during the campaign, and I don't want to be the spoiler, you may want to watch it. I think it's really worth watching for a bunch of reasons. But at one point, his campaign manager said, look, all you got to do is accuse your opponent of having sex with farm animals. And Robin Williams' character plays as part of this guy, Tom Dobbs, looks really perplexed. He says, well, how the hell do I prove that he had sex with farm animals? And his advisor said, well, that's the beauty of it. And it's something LBJ used to say. Because once you accuse him, you don't need the proof that he did. Your opponent is going to spend the balance of the campaign trying to prove he didn't. They do that with Donald Trump, accusing him of being xenophobic and a racist. I don't believe he is. I don't believe he is. But they make the accusation, hoping that they can goad him into wasting valuable time. George Bush Sr. did that to Mike Dukakis when he called Mike Dukakis a liberal. Mike Dukakis being the weak leader that he was, or non-leader perhaps, would come out there and waste time for weeks. I'm not really a liberal. I'm a liberal on some issues, not on other issues. On Thursdays, I'm a liberal. Fridays, not so much. He destroyed himself. He should, have, he should have owned it and moved on. Here's a good definition for liberal. If that's what you're talking about, George, that's who I am. Why aren't you? Let's get back to the issues. But once you bog people down with an accusation, you don't have to prove it. That's why politics is so dirty. That's why decent, normal people don't run for office. This is a food fight on steroids. Now, again, I don't know what Judge Moore's story is. I knew nothing about him other than the fact that he's a Republican candidate for the Senate. But the timing disturbs me. The timing tells me something is not quite right here. They waited, these women waited until they're just a couple weeks away. And so there's no time to replace him on the ballot. And they figured they're going to destroy him this way. Perhaps, perhaps something worth thinking about. But this is the tactic that we keep seeing. If you say that you're in favor of immigration law enforcement, common sense says you should be labeled pro-enforcement. You would think. Except the label that you get, including in the, in the conservative media, is anti-immigrant. If you don't want secure borders, if you don't want the immigration laws, and basically you want immigration anarchy, you're described as pro-immigrant. These words have impact, folks. They really do. And they mislead, and they intimidate, and they make it impossible to have an honest conversation. So the dividing line is pro-immigrant versus anti-immigrants. And if we are a nation of immigrants, then being anti-immigrants is being anti-American. That's how it works. 
That's how it works. And don't use any language like alien that might be derogatory, even though the A in Dream Act is alien, as in alien minors. Don't do anything to upset people where they may have to go to a safe space and maybe get psychological counseling and hug a puppy dog. But it's okay to talk about Americans who have jobs that they can't do. Either they're too lazy or too stupid. But you can insult Americans. That's okay. Fair game. Look at the hypocrisy. Look at the hypocrisy. Schumer said, if you trespass on critical infrastructure or a national landmark, we need a federal law that makes that a five-year felony. But if you trespass on America, Chuck Schumer wants to give you citizenship. The hypocrisy blows my mind, and no one's paying attention. No one's paying attention. They talk about a, a, a wall on the bike path, and I didn't see a single commentator stand up and say, wait a minute, is that really going to solve the problem? Is that really the solution? So the truck driver just goes a block away and drives on the sidewalk or, or runs through an intersection when pedestrians are crossing. Why would you put up a, a barrier? How is that the, the solution? No one questions it. No one questions it. No one questions the idea that they ha- hadn't even really begun the investigation when already we were told that the guy was a lone wolf and he was radicalized, self-radicalized in the United States. Really? We don't even know anything about the guy. You know, they, 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 they're still trying to do the investigation to figure out who he might be associated with. But our leaders have told us nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. Come to New York. Spend your money. Everything's right with the world. The guy's a lone wolf. We got him. The threat is over. God forbid, could you imagine if there had been another terrorist attack? Can you imagine? But it won't matter because we are a country of short memory. How many Americans remember the EPA telling the people in lower Manhattan that the air smells crappy, it looks ugly, but it's perfectly safe? It's perfectly safe. To have such a blasé attitude about the lives of innocent people, to not give a damn about them, rattles my cage in ways you can't imagine. Having lived through 9-11 in New York, I can't begin to tell you how angry it makes me. And now, of course, the focus because of this attack is on these diversity visas. And really, please go to the front page, Mag, and read my article. I think you'll find it interesting. But that's not the only sort of visa that has been exploited, Right? We, we found out, if you look at some articles that were published within the past couple of years, thousands of foreign students have come to America and got lost. We don't know where they are. And some of them are from countries that sponsor terrorism. By the way, the diversity visa involves lots of countries that have a nexus to terrorism. No one's focusing really on that. Maybe a little bit, but not particularly. And, and so it's both sides of the aisle that gave us the diversity visa. It was Ronald Reagan who gave us the first disastrous amnesty. And people always say to me, oh, you know, Mr. Cutler, he always said that was a big mistake. He was misled. And I don't always agree with Bill O'Reilly, although I was on his show a few times. He's a a character, Bill. But he did the research and said, I've looked and talked to people and can't find any evidence of any speech or any statement that President Reagan ever made where he said, 
I was misled, or this was a big mistake. Some of the people who worked for him have subsequently said that. Reagan never said that, and I can't find any evidence of it. But what he did do was put in a confidentiality clause so that as an immigration agent, I could not share an amnesty file with any other law enforcement agency where all other immigration materials are subject to being shared. So if the FBI came to me when I was an agent and said, look, we got a guy driving through midtown Manhattan, and we think he has an atom bomb in the back of his truck. Do you have his photo? Do you have his address? If the only place where I had it was within his amnesty file, if I turned that over to the FBI, I would have been committing a five-year felony. Why? Do you know that President George W. Bush and his sidekick, Michael Chertoff, declared illegal aliens are covered by the Privacy Act by executive order? Really? Illegal aliens protected by the privacy laws? The privacy laws only were supposed to protect United States citizens and aliens who have green cards, lawful immigrants. President George W. Bush protected illegal aliens from scrutiny by including them in the Privacy Act. Both parties did this. Clearly, Obama did more damage to us than any president that I could even begin to imagine. But he wasn't unique in that he was not the first president to do these things. Jimmy Carter, the guy who started this nonsense about the Orwellian newspeak. And by the way, that's why I wrote this article for the, for, um, the social contract about tyranny and censorship. Please read the social contract article. Go to my website, michaelcutler.net. You know, it's all about false language from Jimmy Carter. And then he used it as a way of gerrymandering votes by ordering immigration agents to not enforce the law during the census so they could all be counted. Well, why did he want them counted? For reapportionment during the census, which happened on his watch, so that the reapportionment of the seats in the House and the electoral votes in the Electoral College would swing towards the liberal states. That's what that was about. So, you know, you look at both sides of the aisle. Both sides of the aisle are globalists. Both sides of the aisle are trying to saw the woman in half, that magician's trick, by, while making certain that not a hair on her head gets disturbed. And what bothers me perhaps the most, folks, is that Americans have become intimidated. They don't want anyone to think that they're not nice people. And when accusations fly, the average American says, oh, gee, I'm sorry. They get very meek. They get very quiet. They, they kind of look at their feet. They don't make eye contact. They kind of look like the spouse of an abusive spouse. You know, They've been beaten so often that they're afraid to make eye contact. No, please don't, don't hit me. Don't, 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 don't insult me. Don't just, I, I, I won't make that mistake again. I promise I won't use those terms. I, I, I'll be a good person. Really? We get insulted by our politicians. We're told that we're lazy and stupid and no one stands up to them. We're told that you, you have to accept the idea that criminals are going to come into the country. That's just it, the new normal. And we're supposed to say, oh, well, we can deal with that. Hopefully nobody I know gets killed. We can hope. Really? Is that how America was built? Folks, we've got to grow a spine. When people do this to us, we need to stand our ground peacefully, logically, intellectually, but don't get pushed around. 
don't get pushed around because we're being backed into a corner. And that can't end well. The politicians need to know that we're not as stupid as they hope we are. And the people who disagree with us need to damn well know that as Americans, we have as much right to our opinions as they have to theirs, and we won't be pushed around. You know that line from the movie Network, a man as hell and won't take it anymore? That has to become our attitude. People are dying as a consequence of this madness being foisted on us. And if that can't get you motivated, then maybe you need to go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. The future of our country, the future of our children, the future of their children all hang in the balance. Stand your ground. Speak up for yourself. Don't be bullied or intimidated. The best way I could put it is be an American. Be an American. Show people that you're smart and that you have low tolerance for being bullied. That's how this country was built, by real Americans of every race, every religion, every ethnicity. This cowardice that I'm witnessing disturbs me greatly. Um, And so tomorrow, as we remember our veterans, let's all of us remember why they made those sacrifices to defend and create this incredible country that's in trouble right now because we have not been willing to stand up and be heard. First Amendment is important, but it could become a vestigial organ if we don't exercise it. Please, folks, get involved. You know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I'm not certain if I'm going to be able to tape a program for next Friday. I have a reunion, but if I can, I will. And if not, I will certainly be back here two weeks from today uh, on the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, have a good weekend. Remember the veterans, and please get involved. See you next week, everybody. So long.